Welcome back to Money Stories with LDT. I'm thrilled to partner with Howland Capital in this new series to explore the importance of women's economic well-being. Charlie Clapp here, president of Howland Capital Management, been with the firm 30 plus years out of its 50 plus year history. And it's readily apparent to all of us how important women's roles in all of our families that we work with, how they are the glue that binds the families and glues the generations that we serve. It's no secret that women's influence is growing in economics terms, and we certainly want to be doing everything we can to ensure that our clients, men, women, and their next generation family members are all attended to um, because it's integral to everything that we do. We certainly have tried to embrace the importance of women's financial well-being, recognize they have a unique way of looking at things, particularly their wealth and how it can be a positive influence on their lives, their families' lives, and we remain committed to helping them do just that. And that spills right down to our own partners and staff and employees, because we certainly see firsthand how important all the women that work for Howland Capital have been and will continue to be. So as we look ahead, I invite you to listen and learn more about women's economic independence and strength. We partnered with Money Stories to help you do just that and help us fulfill those goals for all of you. Welcome to today's Money Stories conversation with Lexi Gibbs. Lexi is a partner at Howland Capital and has spent more than two decades at the firm advising clients on investments, multi-generational family plans, succession, and philanthropy. In addition to being passionate about investing in general, Lexi has a special message for women, get involved and stay involved with your finances. Looking forward to today's conversation. Lexi, it's a pleasure to welcome you to today's Money Stories conversation. Thank you, Linda. Lexi, in starting our conversation today, I wonder if you would share with our listeners something about your own personal money story that has stuck with you through the years. Thank you, Linda. My parents didn't talk a lot about money in terms of educating us in the value of the dollar and how the dollar can work for you as an investment. Rather, they spoke to us about buying groceries and fresh produce in season. I didn't know what that meant until I got older. And talking about stocks and looking at them and the prices of them in the newspaper. So we would always track stocks that we were interested in. I can remember watching Disney because I loved Disneyland in Los Angeles and Hershey because I loved Hershey Kisses. So we as children, I'm one of four, would look at the newspaper on the weekends and look at the different prices, but not really understanding what it actually meant. We all worked as children, well, teenagers, as soon as we were able to babysit or bake, or I remember painting barrettes and selling them in middle school. And then once we all had our licenses, especially me, I was able to commandeer the car one summer when I was 17 to go to an office job every single day, which was a lot of work. I had no clothing for that appropriate quote unquote look. So I would ransack my mother's closet and race off with the car. And in the glove compartment box, there was always the mobile card. 
And so I knew that if I needed gas, I would go to the mobile gas station and use the card. And about two weeks after that, my parents sat me down and said, do you know what it means when you use the mobile card? And I said, yes, it allows me to get gas for your car and I can drive to work. And they said, well, that's great, honey, but who pays for that gas? And I said, well, you do. (laughs) And they sort of shook their heads and laughed saying, we have some work to do with this one. And really helping her learn about the value of money and what it means that yes, I am working and I'm paying taxes, but I certainly wasn't paying for any of my expenses at that time. Uh, But I did start very quickly therein helping to pay for the gas that I was going to be using. And it really taught me a lot about the value of money. At the same time, my parents worked hard to teach us about investing a little bit, uh, not on the grand scale, but telling us about compound of interest and how to make money work for you. And I didn't really understand it even at that age. It, It took some time, but those were great experiences to have and I guess it was also somewhat of a mystery because in my grandparents' house, money was never discussed in any way, shape or form with my generation. And we had to really not even ask about it. And so we were forced to try to understand and listen to our parents. And I remember asking my parents how I'm supposed to balance a checkbook. Hmm. And the answer is, we'll figure it out. And I guess that maybe the message there to me and to my siblings was you kind of need to figure out financing your own life and might as well start early. And there isn't necessarily someone who's going to bail you out. Uh, So you need to put that, that brain power to work to start figuring out and, and thinking about your future. So many lessons there, Lexi, everything from the value of work, although maybe it was challenging to still connect the dots on what what that means in terms of translating that paycheck to real life cost. And also you could relate to those companies you mentioned as a young person. You mentioned Hershey and Disney. Those are part of your regular life. So those were naturally um, entry points for you into the beginning of investing, although you've really underscored that it is a long-term process. Financial education may start early, but we it continues to evolve. So thank you very much for thank those you. lessons. I'm sure you have had the experience of talking with many people, in particular many women, about investing. And one of the things I think we all know is that whenever someone, and today we're, we're going to talk particularly about women, has an early exposure to investing, it can be so formative in long-term comfort with money, interest in the topic, and being engaged in their own financial journey. So um, I can see why that would have been so important and such a good thing when you were growing up. You know, you mentioned your siblings. Now, of course, I know, shared with me that you're a, you're a parent yourself. I think teenage daughters, am I remembering that correctly? Yes, correct. So just curious, without putting you or them on the spot, is there anything in particular that you bring to your role as a parent with regard to money and finance or education about it 
anything that seems intentional on your part or do you think it's just a good good habits that you've had well i'm very fortunate to have an amazing husband who has always thought it a good idea to discuss money and investing openly with our children so between the two of us we cover all of the investing saving earning bases when the children were young they each had their little jars which they would put, you know, save, spend, give, or whatever it was that they wanted to do. One of them was saving to buy a hamster, Um, you know, so they had targeted things that they wanted to do. And now they're in high school and one of them is, is in an investment club where they're all ranked by their performance, which is certainly high stakes. They're given, I think, $100,000 of play money to go in and invest. So she certainly is feeling the high stakes. And my husband and I work very hard to let the girls know that having any kind of income requires very hard work and creativity and an open mind. But the discipline that comes to saving is the most important thing. So that's really an interesting combination to me that even while they are learning about investing and how that works, you've made it very important to try to link the fact that long-term success really should be linked with earning and saving. And also, I would imagine, a sense of purpose as well. Very much so. Well, those are lucky girls. And I'm glad to hear that you already have the future investment management pipeline perhaps being filled up, although we don't want to put too much pressure on her. But we, we know that uh, we know that we need more and more women in our in our industry. And the reason I touch on that is that, you know, I've been reading as much as I can find about how women think about finances and their own financial health and even how they feel about what they see and hear from our industry, the investment industry. And recently I read a study by a major national investment firm that said that 72% of women and actually 82% of millennial women said they thought that investing was set up to be confusing, implying that the industry itself or, or some, somehow the environment was intentionally confusing. And I wonder why you think that might be the perception. And as a financial expert yourself and educator, What do you try to do in your own work to change that perception? I think being open and having conversations is really, really important. I came across some numbers recently that said that since 2018, 67% of women are now investing outside of their retirement. And in 2018, it was 44%. So that's a very big number. Of course, that seems like a lifetime ago because we've had COVID. And I think COVID gave people a chance to stop and catch their breath a bit about their own personal finance, where they are, where they're trying to go. And I would say that more women are more interested in investing since the start of the pandemic. And it could be because it seems a little bit more attainable. They were home more. They had time to do research more. They could find your podcasts, Linda, which are all fabulous and really learn from each one of those. And so 
they've also been spending less. So they actually have more to start investing or to add to their investing. And so having that information more readily accessible, hopefully will allow investing for them to be less confusing. It could also be that historically, there might've been some mixed messaging about women and investing. And depending on whether they are baby boomers, Gen X or millennials, the male, female uh, play could be a little bit different in terms of who is in the business, who is not in the business and who should be doing this. Can you be someone who is not working in finance and still have a healthy portfolio and a healthy retirement portfolio? So taking the mystery out of it is a really important component of what we do at Howland Capital and how we work with our clients, not just the women, but their brothers, their husbands, their children, to just make sure that the messaging is clear that everybody can start investing at a young age. That's a very hopeful trend of statistics that you shared, that uh, one of the outcomes of this challenging time could be that with more time at home for many of us, whether we're working from home in a job, working from home just with our kids in the next room doing Zoom school, that this greater time together in a family unit, whatever that means, has opened up the conversation, opened up possibilities. That's, that's very, very encouraging. And those of us who have the opportunity, in addition to that, to have a financial advisor accessible to us as individuals through our families, however, of course, have that additional mentoring, as you say, and sort of that side-by-side encouragement. Um, So those are all, you know, very, very positive trends. And I think your message to us is do what we can as professionals to keep the educational channels open, tell other women and their allies about what these resources are and encourage us all to talk to each other about the topic and not be afraid to ask questions. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Lexi, as much as we can do, as you say, with education and good habits and good advice, there are some sort of natural headwinds for women that are not totally within our control. Some of them are changing, but some are inherent in, in our particular lives. Sometimes their salaries in the work we do is, are still less. Not all of us decide or have the opportunity to work in careers that may that we feel may compensate us financially adequately to save for for our retirement god willing we live longer and then you know as we all see every day and i know you're the expert here there are economic ups and downs and so with all of those things earning capacity longer lives unexpected events market activity Can you help us remember what is within our control in all of this? And what are a couple things you think we should all focus on as as investors uh, to, to get where we want to in terms of our financial goals? Only about a third of women see themselves as investors. 
So we have two thirds of the female population, if these numbers are right, and I think they're pretty, pretty close. These other women can find someone that they can trust and have a, a good relationship with to help them invest so that it doesn't become such a, a terrifying thing to do. Investing takes having risk tolerance and to overcome fear of losing money. Women have many choices to make in their lifetime and how to tie work, family, personal interests all together so that you can have it all, I think is very much unknown. It's, it's somewhat of an oxymoron. Yet I do know some women who I think do have it all and can do it all. And I just wonder how they do it. But I think taking out some of the mystery by working with a team can help other women be the investors that perhaps they want to be, but they are afraid to be. It is also very important to start early. When you have your summer jobs as teenagers, really start saving. You can open up a Roth IRA at a young age. You can open up a savings account um, with your parents if you are under age of majority. There are many ways to actually start doing this, but then when you have your first job out of college or even in college that has some kind of a retirement program, take advantage of that and set a disciplined saving cycle so that if you get a bonus, it's saved. If you get a raise, you're not dependent on it. And I know that that might seem really, really harsh, but what it does allow is to build up a little bit more of a nest egg so that if you decide you want to stay home 100% of the time and raise children and you've already worked for 10 or 15 years, well, you're going to have some nice assets there that will be able to grow for you if you're not touching them. You will still have to figure out who's going to put food on the table and, and how you're going to be able to live and, and support all of the things that you want to do. But it is really important to create a team for yourself. Find the people that you can trust. And if you're not comfortable doing the invest investing, let them do it for you and work with them. It's very, very important to just jump in, get in the game in some way. It doesn't mean that you have to do it by yourself, which can be very scary. But if you have a team that can help you do it, it's a very easy thing to do. So Lexia, with that team concept, do you ever receive questions from, let's say, extended family members of your clients, whether it's daughters or granddaughters or, or nieces who maybe are just at one of these points where they have a question and they don't yet have a formalized team? Maybe it's, how do I set up a Roth IRA? Or what, what do these choices on this 401k plan mean? Or... I am faced with a transition in my life. Help me through this. I have a couple of questions about my options. Do you ever have those, those conversations with those extended family members who may not feel that they yet are your client on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, yes, I do. And in fact, I have those conversations with friends' daughters. And I actually am still having conversations with my friends who might not have worked since they were much, much younger, but they are more than qualified to handle a household, managing all the day-to-day -day finances. They do all of that. And yet somehow they don't feel like they're very good 
at long-term planning or investing, which I always say to them, if you can manage a household, you can manage your portfolio. You really can do this. And it's, it's just taking that first leap and trying. And if you need someone to do this with, that's great. You should find that person. So it is something that I'm constantly talking to all sorts of women about. I think it's a very important thing. It's a message. It really is about messaging. And so our, our listeners, in fact, even if they're not your client today, they could think about their own personal networks of friends, family, colleagues. Think of someone you view as competent and trustworthy in this area and ask them if they can talk to you, if they'll talk to you about your questions. Exactly. I think that's, that's really one of the objectives of this whole dialogue, I think, that we're having about money stories is opening up the conversation and as women taking this on like we do so many other topics. I mean, I, I know I rely on my women friends for all kinds of resources that I might need from time to time. And so your, I think, reminder is there's no reason that financial information shouldn't be one of those resources that we look to each other for. That's exactly right. You know, and I think that's, that's so accessible for everybody to just think about, okay, who in my network am I going to tap and say, will you help me? And um, I'm sure we'll, we can all find a resource there. You know, women like to ask for directions much more so than men. And so finding a roadmap that they can follow, I think would make this feel a lot more accessible because there are so many women who want to invest, but they feel like they need to know more about stock picking. Mm-hmm. And so many women want to invest, but they're not sure how to go about doing that. And so just finding someone who can help you delineate your own personal roadmap is very important. You know, Lexi, I'm sure you've read the studies I have that show too that when we do get started on this path, there's a lot of evidence that we're very, very good at it because of some of the qualities that you mentioned. We do our homework, we do our research, we ask for assistance slash direction. And there's also some, some evidence, and I don't know if you've seen this, that perhaps we are, we are disciplined and patient and look to the, are willing to look to the long-term and not make so many changes along the way that it, you know, it disrupts our, the opportunity for our money to work for us. So those, uh, I don't wanna to generalize too much about women's skills, but we do read that, that once we get started, we're, we're really good at it. Do you find that's true? We've been reading this for decades. You're absolutely correct, Linda. And it it very often goes back to women being less impulsive investors than men. Sometimes men want to go in for the quick hit, earn it quickly, whereas women tend to be very disciplined and perhaps they like to look at the long term and wait a little bit longer and be a little bit more focused on their saving and what they're putting into the portfolio, knowing that over the long term, the, they will reap the rewards and their performance will be very good. However, on that note, women do tend to keep a higher balance of cash than men do. And so it's just making sure that the cash isn't sitting on the sidelines 
too long, especially in a market where it could be working for you. What you just said reminds me of, I like to try to remember good advice like this with some tools. And I heard it's not necessary to go into it with a competitive mindset, like beat somebody else next to me, but collaboration can be a good thing. And that if you put those things together and yet not to be too conservative when it comes to actually putting that money to work, that those are reminders too, that being conservative on our spending can be helpful, but being too conservative on our investing is not always a good long-term path. That's correct. You always hear, it's not about how much you make, it's how much you save and how much you invest. I think that that holds true for everybody. And it's something that perhaps we're not very good at as Americans, but I think we can do better. And I think the pandemic has shown us how much people actually can save. Mm-hmm. You know, on, along those lines, Lexi, one of, the, one of the trends I'm reading about that's come along and in, even increased during the pandemic is that many investors and many women tell me that they really want to try to align their investments with their values. I wonder if you hear that from your clients these days, and if you do, not necessarily what's the answer, because it would be, might be different for everybody, but how do you advise thinking about that, about aligning your values with investing? Well, some, some women have values that tie back to performance in a portfolio. Some women have values that tie back to their religion or spiritual beliefs or their desire for a clean planet or for diversity and inclusion. And so we have conversations actively with each and individual client to make sure that we are really working to address what is important to them and make sure that the portfolio is not going to be hindered by putting things into it or taking things out of it that really address their needs. It's a thoughtful process with you and helping to to ask the right questions to clarify in that conversation about the pros and cons, the alter, the alternatives and what might what might happen in that portfolio. You know, I'm curious if you have this experience. I'm hearing a lot from younger women that they really are interested in impact in impacting their community, impacting the causes they care about. And one of the things that I try my best to remind them is the best way you can do that in your own way is to build your own financial security first. And that the more you have financial independence, you'll be able to apply your own resources, however you wish to impact the world. Do you hear that from more from women, younger women or any women these days that they really want to have that impact, but maybe aren't necessarily ready to give a lot of money from their own savings? They might need to build that first. So I'm just, I'm just encouraging them to be cautious about, about taking care of, of themselves along with things they care about in the community. I so, do hear that a lot, Linda, with younger women, especially because I think they, they might see that they have a very long life ahead of them and they've got plenty of time 
to build up their own personal capital and personal portfolio. But in fact, if they don't start now, they won't be able to build it up. And so they won't be able to make the impact or invest in the groups that they think are providing the impact to the community. So I, I do see that a lot. And you're right, it's very important to pay yourself first. Otherwise you can't help others. You're on the airplane, you need to put on your oxygen mask before you put it on to the person next to you. And it's the same with investing. So be a little selfish in that regard. You know, Lexi, you were talking earlier about how you work with how you work with your clients and I mean, how investors learn. Could you give a couple of examples of what do you think is a good question that I should be asking? What do I need to leave in my advisor's bailiwick? And what do I need to do myself? In other words, how to be a good client? What, do I, what should I delegate to you? And what sh- what's my responsibility in the whole thing? That's a great question. And I think it's different depending on your level of sophistication and understanding with investing. At the very beginning, if you aren't quite sure what you're supposed to be doing, you will probably want to ask questions and find out what the difference between a stock and a bond is, or why you would want to buy a technology company or a biotech company, why you would want to be investing in certain things. And if somebody is a more seasoned seasoned investor, you would very often leave those decisions to be made completely to your advisor, and you could read about it when you meet with them or they send their quarterly update. You'll have a meeting with them. I don't know how many times per year. Um, It could be four, it could be one. But generally speaking, what we find is the clients that we work with and have been working with for quite some time have a, a phone call or two here and there when they have a very specific question, but they're really allowing us to be diligent and dedicated and disciplined to the work that we're doing by managing the portfolios. And one of the things that we also find is a client might call and say, I want to be all in. And it could be the most recent high in the market. Or it might they might say, take us completely out. And it might be the low. And so we just remind them that staying invested is a very important thing and leave the worrying to us. Let us do the worrying. You go about your life pursuing your career, your family, your personal interests, and let us do the actual investing for you. That worrying part, you know, that is, boy, that's really hard sometimes. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, there's so much information now. It's, it's around us every day, financial ups and downs. What do I do if, even though I know intellectually that you're in, you've got it, that you're doing a great job for me, you're my advisor, I trust you. What do I do when I still feel anxious? When there's one of those days or periods where I just think, I don't know, I, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm really nervous, but I might be a little bit hesitant to call Lexi because I don't want her to think I'm so nervous. <laughs> should, should I call anyway? Of course, always. That's why we have the telephone. We want our clients to call. And we'll remind you that we are partners. We are, we are a team together and we are on your team and that we are continuing to remain disciplined and we have our investment policy statement. And sometimes I'll remind them what it says. And then they usually 
say, I'm so sorry to bother you. I mean, anytime, call us. That's what we're here for. We are investment advisors. You're that voice of reason is what I'm hearing. That voice of reason when like it feels very emotional. You know, it, it feels very uh, anxiety and stress, you know, come along with the picture. And so you remind us of what our plan is and you're the voice of, voice of reason. So maybe your phone's going to ring more now, Lexi, but. It might, that's okay. It. <laughs> we welcome it. <laughs> Lexi, throughout our conversation today, you've mentioned so many important aspects of investing and why it's so important for women to get involved. You've talked about some of your professional experiences and also that you've had the opportunity to speak with women personally and formally about the topic. In closing the conversation, I wonder if there's any aspect of this topic, women and investing, that you think it's important to emphasize. There are a number of things that are important to emphasize. And I would say the first is thinking about women's economic independence and strength therein, and how women, and really everybody, everyone needs to invest in themselves. And that should start early. I can remember when I first started talking about business school, I was about 18 years old. And my parents said, well, if you really want to go to business school, we're sure you'll get into a good school, but you need to figure out how to pay for it for yourself. And you'll, you'll be on your own after you graduate from college. So figure that piece of it out. And so I delayed my entry into business school for a few years so I could work and begin to save some money and was very lucky that I was able to continue to work while going to school and get my degree. But that was definitely one of the hardest things I had to do. But I knew that investing in myself would be the only way to attain the future financial flexibility that I had always dreamed of having. And that speaks to everyone, not just women. The other thing that I've been thinking about a lot is that women who choose not to work outside the home for pay are still working very, very hard. They might not earn an income, but these are the women who are volunteering, who are raising their own children, teaching their children about life, money. They're women who are volunteering for the school field trips. They're helping with the bake sales. They're volunteering for Girl Scouts. They're really having a positive impact on the community around them, but they're not getting paid to do that work. And for them, trying to think about how to have the financial flexibility is very challenging if they don't have a current income. So hopefully, as people listen to this, they can think about skills that they might be able to learn at a young age and keep fresh during the time that they've decided to stay home and then maybe go back into the workforce. Recently, I was talking with a friend who's just turned 50 and she said, you know, I've raised my children and I would love to go back to work. Did you know I'm really good at X, Y, Z? And she talked about some computer programming skills that she had had. And I said, I had no idea, but you need to capitalize on that and go and do something that you're really interested in doing. And one of the things that she was thinking about is 
you know, I've worked so hard and done so many things, it would be nice to have an income as well. So it's never too late to start. But if you are talking to young people about what their financial future may look like, invest early in yourself and save everything that you can. Uh, when you're getting a bonus, as I mentioned before, don't just go and spend it on something that might not really contribute to your future. Maybe spend part of it or 50% of it and then invest the rest, save the rest. I would say those are the most important things to think about. And it just has to be a constant discipline. And that's always hard, but it really is important to stay focused and to not ever give up. So really, Lexi, it's um, a mat it can be a matter of thinking about one's life as likely to have different periods in it for whatever reason, where our earning, our cash earnings may be diminished or not at all, but being able to still um, live the kind of life we want, feeling that we are valued. That is very, very true, Linda. And everybody makes a difference and everybody has a story. And I think that's what makes this world so special. And I love working with women. I love working with families. I love working with husbands when they ask how they can help their wives who have just exhausted themselves raising however many children. And now they're thinking about what to do next. I get a lot of men call me about that and their daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, very often the message is, well, let me talk with them. And it doesn't mean it's just the daughters, it's usually the children. And sometimes we'll have a family meeting and start to educate the different generations about what to think of when they're planning their future, whether it's their job, career, education, etc. And Lexi, do you find that you have any ideas for women who may not be working outside the home for a period of time on how to stay current on investing and how to be engaged with the topic, even if they're going for a period of time where they're not actively uh, you know, earning, earning cash in the workforce? That's a great question, Linda. I guarantee they don't have any time, but it really is just carving out 30 minutes, 60 minutes every single week to take a look at your portfolio and think about whether or not you need to make a change. And it might be such a pattern that you log in on a Sunday, you look at it and you realize that you don't need to make any changes, but at least you've looked, you've taken that step to log in and then think about what needs to be done. Nothing needs to be done, that's great. Most people don't rebalance every single week. They may rebalance once a quarter or based on what's going on in the market, but always thinking about how to do that is something that you can do to stay current and to always be thinking about your portfolio. So that, that financial mindset is something that is always with us. You, in your own story, you mentioned that financial mindset as a young, as a young one, when you were beginning to earn or beginning to learn about investing, even if all the dots were connected, then making that hard decision to invest in yourself, not only with the time for, in your case, graduate business school, but also saving and, and working in order to do that. That was 
you didn't have to do that, but you realized somehow um, that investing in, your, in yourself uh, needed to start with you. That's exactly right. And again, it really went back to saving as much as I could and always taking a look at that bottom line when I would log in. And for many, many years, it felt like I was going backwards or never really seeing anything grow in my investments. And then all of a sudden, it looked different to me. And I just continued to contribute every single year. And suddenly, it looked like it was making a difference. And that is why the discipline and the focus is so important. And I guess I have to say, having raised twins, I know that time is precious. So if you don't have time every week, try every six months, just take a look. Just reminding us that this is a long-term process, like so many other aspects of life, requiring some focus, some attention, some discipline. Yes, there are ups and downs, but staying in it for the long haul. Yes. And it can be really fun, Linda. It can be really, really fun. So maybe follow a passion like I did with Hershey and Disney. And then when I loved to cook, as as I was learning how, I really enjoyed the McCormick stocks uh, or the spices and then bought the stock. I thought that was kind of a neat thing. And people can do that with whatever it is that they're interested in. But also watch it because when it does really, really well, you might want to take some gains off the table. Going back to the money stories concept for a moment, you know, we're going to have next month or so an opportunity with Howland to have a workshop with women to explore our own money stories together and learn some of the things that we think about money, what's our relationship with it. What do you think you hope that our participants will learn by joining in that conversation and sort of writing their own money story, if you will? Well, I think it's a very important thing to remember that the past does not dictate the future in respect to your relationship with your money. And sometimes you need to clear the deck of any emotional baggage tied to your money relationship. And that's how you have a path to go forward. And I'm finding that a lot of women don't know what to do. And so they have all of these squirrel accounts sitting in cash at five or 10 different banks. One's for a trip, one's in case the house burns, one's in case there's a flood, one's in case the dishwasher blows. And our advice is it's okay, but don't keep so much cash on hand. Let's start working together. Let's get invested. And your fears and your worries are always a part of you, but it's okay to take a risk because it's an educated risk and you're working with someone who does this every single day, all day, who's been trained to do this, who has gotten multiple degrees Mm -hmm. and really understands that it's not an emotional investing acumen that we are doing. We are very disciplined. We take the emotion out of the actual investing. And that's very hard to do for most people. So by spending an hour or two in a workshop and acknowledging where we've come from, perhaps, or what our goals are, and then taking a very practical approach to the future with with all of that in mind, but in 
uh, charting a path forward is what is what we can do together. Yes, come to the Money Story Workshop with an idea of what you want your future to look like with respect to your investing and your money. And sometimes the past will allow you to grow and be stronger, but sometimes refining how you view your future and not letting the past keep you down. Future and aspirations is a great way to finish up our conversation, Lexi. And so just maybe in closing, you know, looking to the future as a woman yourself with your husband, with two wonderful daughters who work every day to encourage others to be engaged with investing and hopefully now coming to a different phase of the world and moving forward from these challenging times. What are your hopes about this whole topic? My hope is that there will no longer be the theory that women are afraid to invest. My hope is that women start investing early on, that they are able to save and therefore either feed their dreams, fuel their dreams, live their dreams, just as anyone else does. I think it's very important that women have the confidence to take risk in investing and join the party, be a part of it. Because as we all know, and we've heard many, many times, women are going to be stewarding trillions of dollars going forward. So building up those skills or creating the team around you to have those skills, you're hiring someone perhaps to do it for you. It's really, really important. We've got future generations to think of and and educate. And I don't like the fact that there's a difference between men and women when it comes to how often they're investing. Well, I can't think of a better, more inspirational lesson. You've put it in the context of all the possibilities that are in front of us, wherever we are upon the journey. And you've given us a great call to action. So let's all join in and do it. Lexi, thanks so much for this really interesting conversation today and for being such an amazing advocate for other women about the power of investing to have the kind of lives that we all deserve. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda. Want to learn more about Howland Capital? Visit howlandcapital.com to find out more.